Good morning, Daylight, and welcome. We pray God bless you today, and uh, feel free to join us and sing along and enjoy. Peace.
Jesus is waiting there. Oh, Jesus is waiting there. Jesus is waiting there. With hope in our redeem my soul from death you have redeemed my soul from the pit of emptiness you have redeemed my soul from death I was a hungry child, a dried up river, was a burned down forest, no one could do anything for me, but you put food in my body, water in my dry bed, to my black and branches, you brought the springtime green of new life. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for you. You have redeemed my soul from the pit of you have redeemed my soul from death. You have redeemed my soul from the pit of emptiness. You have redeemed my soul from death. I was a hungry child, a dried up river, I was a burned down forest, no one could do anything for me, but you put food in my body, water in my dry bed. In my black and branches, you brought the springtime green of new life. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for you. For you, 
Cry 
and thanks for joining us here at Daylight Church. We're really excited that next week we're going to be here live and no longer do these recordings. So hopefully we'll see as many of you as are comfortable making it next week. This morning we're going to talk about the fine art of Old Entish. And Old Entish is the language spoken by these tree creatures that you see from Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers. And their language frustrates us and confounds us because we're used to a fast-paced culture. We want everything said lightning fast. We want everything done lightning fast. And the, tr the Ents in Lord of the Rings move slow. And even when I do that from stage, it's uncomfortable. Because we want to get the information, get in, get out, move on with our lives. And what we find is these creatures, they move slow, but they're quite effective over time. They're quite wise. And so we're going to talk about kind of emulating this concept of being the old Ents and how they live their lives. At Daylight Church, we have four pillars, service, study, worship, and rest. And our, our mantra for rest is that God's pace is peace. We believe God moves at a, kind of an efficient pace. He moves at a slow pace. He, he moves at an appropriate pace. And he's not freaked out or stressed or worried, kind of like we are most days. He's able to take his time because he can do anything whenever he wants to. And so... When we talk about God's pace is peace, it affects us. It affects how we talk, how we communicate, how we live our lives. And as we talk about this, I want to take us back in time, only about 120 years. We're going to, we're going to do it in increments, about 120 years ago to 1900, what life was like in 1900, because it was, it was a different world in 1900. We were talking, I was talking with some friends and with my wife last night about childbirth even, and how much safer childbirth is today than it was in 1900. There's so much that we take for granted that is so much easier for us in a modern technological culture. But in 1900s, odds are, in 1900, you did not have a car. Cars were not mass-produced until 1915, when about two million of them were produced. But in 1900, odds are, you did not have a car. Everybody was a horseman in the 1900s. You had horses. And so today we're used to, I, I hate to pull my car over and fill it with gas because it feels like a waste of my time. It feels like a stop in between where I'm, trying, where I'm at and where I'm trying to get to, and it drives me nuts. In those days, you had to brush your horses. You had to feed your horses. You had to take them out. You had to saddle them up. You had to shoe them. You had to keep the stalls. Everybody had to do it back in those days. It was a slower time. It was a slower pace. In addition... If you had to go to the restroom, odds are you didn't have a flush toilet in your home. Odds are you had, if, you, if in the middle of the night you had to get up to use the bathroom, you had to literally get up. When you had to go, you had to literally go. You had to walk out of your house into the starlit sky, into the cold of winter, if you lived in a cold climate, and go to the bathroom to come back inside. It, it took more time. It was a slower pace. You were, there was a moment to connect with nature. There was a moment to connect with something grander than yourself. And we don't have that today. We get up. We go to the bathroom, we flush the toilet, we wash our hands, we move on with life. We, rapid. Everything's rapid today. Typewriters weren't invented for about 15 years, so there was no texting your friends in 1900. If you wanted to send a message to your friends, you had to get down and handwrite it. And then you had to fold it into an envelope, put it in an envelope, 
put it in the mail and send it, or get on your horse and, and ride over to their home and drop it off. It was a slower pace, a slower time. Phones were not quite yet on the scene, and even when they did come on the scene, a, a decade later or so, you didn't just dial the number you want. You didn't just say, hey, Siri, call my friend. You had to actually pick up the phone and talk to a, a, an operator. You would say, hey, I need to talk to Carol. And she would say, connecting you with Carol, because she would be sitting at a switchboard somewhere where all the people in town were listed and had a little label on their name. So when you said, I need to talk to Carol Johnson, she would look for Carol Johnson on the switchboard, and she would plug you in. And then, and then it would ring at their house. And if Carol happened to be around, she could hear it ringing, and she could come and answer. Nothing like today's culture, where everyone is at your fingers constantly. Everyone's at your disposal at all times. And in fact, you probably knew the switchboard operator by name, because you communicated with them every single time that you communicated with a friend. Relationships, slowness, a slower, more peaceful pace. That was 1900. Let's jump 75 years into the future from 1900 to 1975 and compare it to today. I was, I was raised by a father who owned Burger Chef restaurants, which were some fast food restaurants that eventually became Hardee's and Carl Jr. Carl's Jr. Carl's or Carl Jr. And I remember in the 1980s, he was so excited about this new concept that was coming on the scene called the drive-through window. He was really pumped that we were going to be installing drive-through windows in all of our Burger Chef restaurants. Now, drive-throughs had actually been around since like the late 1940s, but they didn't become popular until about the 80s. And so this is a picture of an In-N-Out burger with one of the very first drive-through windows. But before that, in 1975, odds are if you went to a restaurant, it didn't have a drive-through but it might be a drive-in. People would go to drive-in theaters, and so they would park their cars, order their food, talk to the waitress, talk to the person in the car next to them, maybe get out, sit at a table, or you would walk in and walk out. You'd walk in, order your food, and walk out. And this, these were your options at that point. It was a slower pace, and it was more relational. Your news didn't come on your Google screen or on your phone every single day in a feed that you can fly through and pick up all the news. Instead, you had to wait for the paper to land in your driveway. Everybody read the paper in those days, the newspaper. This was from one year prior to 1975, I think, or maybe it was 1969, I don't remember the dates, but it was when we first walked on the moon, and you didn't hear about that until the paper landed. You didn't hear about it until the paper landed maybe next door or across the street and somebody came over to talk to you about it. And there was this the sense if you would read and study, and then you had to wait for the news to come back. There was a pause. There was a pause to think about what you had read. You would dialogue with your neighbors about what you had read, instead of it just being fed to you in this tsunami of information that was coming constantly, and you didn't even have time to stop and think. You just brushed through it, brushed through it, brushed through it, and it was a different world. Even in 1975, which was not that 45 years ago, phones. Phones were a different animal in 1975. In 1975, they, they were having the first dial phones where you'd actually dial the numbers of the people you wanted to call, but most of them were rotary phones. And some of you are probably only vaguely familiar with rotary phones at this point in life. And rotary phones, you'd have to stick your finger in the number you wanted and rotate it to the end, let it go, and it would come back. And then you'd stick it in the next number. So dialing a seven number or a, or, or a ten number uh, phone number was a long patient, entish process. This was the world that we lived in in 1975. Everything was slower. Back then, people used to come and go. 
Today, that's not the case. Back then, you'd graduate high school. Let's say you had 80 people in your high school graduating class. You might be in touch with four of them by the time you were 50. You might be, and if you were in touch, it was by letter or dialing the phone. It took effort to stay in touch with people. Today, nobody goes away. I have friends in my social media accounts that I met at conferences 12 years ago, and I spent literally one day or even a couple hours with, and we said, hey, are you on Facebook? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Well, let's add each other. And now we know each other's business all the time. Nobody goes. Nobody goes away. Everybody comes to stay. In the past, your circle of influence would stay relatively small. You might have 100 people you were interacting with on a regular basis. Five years later, you'd have 100 people, and 30 of those people would be different than the original 100, and so forth. Today, you can interact with every person you ever met for your entire life. It's a lot to take in. Informa information used to trickle in, like we talked about with the newspaper, or with phone calls, or somebody comes in from out of town and starts spreading information. Nowadays, all the it's, it's almost fair to say all the information is available to you at a moment's notice. You can get anything you want, anytime you want it, because most of us carry encyclopedias and more, all the world's information in our pockets at all time. It's a wild, crazy world when it comes to information. And the world was further away. If you wanted to know what was going on in India, you'd have to go to the library and maybe request books about India. There, there, there was not information about India. Unless it, unless it was front page news in India that ended up on the fifth page of our newspapers, you knew nothing about what was going on in India. You knew nothing about what was going on in China or, or Burma, as it was called back in those days. The world was far away. You, di you, you didn't have to think or, or get to think about everything going on everywhere at all times. Even 50 years ago, even 45 years ago, that wasn't the case. Here's what the world looks like today. This is, this is the popular media site, TikTok. And this is what happens if you go to TikTok.com. So if, if you're unfamiliar with TikTok, TikTok is a video site where people post videos of their days and what's going on in their lives. And celebrities get on and post 15-second videos about their life and their lifestyles. And this is what it looks like. There's celebrities dancing. There's cows licking your arm, there's, there's paint and color and vibrance and people, people swimming in pools and eating dinner and, 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 and all of a sudden the video switches and it changes and now there's more color and more people and it's, it's, it's this idea that we want more and more and more and more information and more color and more movement and more celebrities and more in our lives. We want more and more and more and more. And TikTok tells us to make our day. That's their slogan is make your day. But what do they mean when they say make your day? They mean Pull in all the information you want. Respond to all the information you want to respond to. They mean fill it, fill it, fill it, fill it. It kind of says this. You only have so much time to be in your favorite celebrity's living room or bedroom or on their boat. It says you only have so much time to know everything that's going on with your classmate from 50 years ago. You only have so much time to reconnect with that person that you, made, that you spent two hours with at a conference 30 years ago. It, it, it's this idea that you've, you've got to have more. You gotta have more, you gotta have more. And I'm not, I'm not slamming TikTok. I opened a TikTok account recently myself. I think, I think there's value to this. But we need to be careful that we slow down. That we learn to speak old entish. Because kind of what it says is be with everyone. It says everyone you've ever encountered, be with them. Maintain a relationship with them, connect with them. And it, 
It also means people you've never even met. My, my wife is, is a follower of The Rock on Instagram. She loves The Rock's media posts. She doesn't know him. She, she will probably never know him. But social media says, I can, I can follow him. I can, I can literally follow him. That's the button you push is follow. Is be with everyone. Take it all in. Pull it all in at all times. And fix all the problems. This is part of the dilemma and part of the problem is that we think we can fix all the problems. So we feel like not only do we know the information, but we're expected as human beings to respond appropriately to the information. We're supposed to step up and stand up for what's right and stand up for what's good. And that gets confusing and chaotic really fast when you're trying to fix every problem in the entire world. And so in some sense, when we say be with everyone, we're talking about being omnipresent. It's being at all places at all times. When we say taking it all in, we're talking about omniscience. We're talking about knowing all things at all time. And when we talk about fixing the problems, we're talking about omnipotence. We're talking about being able to have power over all things at all times. And I'm not saying we all think this way. I'm not saying we all worship social media or worship ourselves. But in some sense, it reminds me of the story from the Bible that they call the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel is, is one that makes it into kids' storybooks all the time. And, and it's been quite an influential story. And it's actually only about nine verses in the Old Testament. And it goes like this. The people said this, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. So the people were saying, Let's do what we can do to make something grand and something big. And this is God's response. And it, it, it's kind of an odd response. He says, Nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. And God says, come, let us go down and confuse their language. And as the story goes, this was when all the languages were split and all the languages of the world were, the seeds for them at least were planted. And whether you believe that's mythology or whether you believe it's literal history is not the point of the sermon today. The point is they were trying to build something bigger than themselves, something massive, something great. And God was saying, let's put the brakes on that a little bit. Let's slow this down. And in my opinion, God always works for our best benefit. So he must have had a good reason for that. He wanted to slow things down. He didn't want people stepping up and trying to do everything they could do. There's only one who is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. And anything that hints of us trying to become that is not healthy for us. And God recognized that and knows that about us. In 1975, people were more connected. When you went to the restaurant, you actually had to talk to somebody, not just a screen. You didn't just fly through a line and never meet the person. You, they actually came to, your, came to your window or you walked inside. They were more connected. People sat around tables and enjoyed one another. They were more contemplative. When you got the news, you thought about the news. You had hours after you read the news before you ever even spoke to a friend about the news. And if you did, it was because you got on your phone and you took the time to make a phone call and even in doing so, had time to think before you respond. By necessity, you had to give thought. You had to contemplate. It was baked into your schedule. Today, you don't have to. Today, somebody posts a meme, and you can like it or hate it or all at the same time, and post your response and, 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 and send a text right away and, and connect with... You can send a text to 100 of your friends at the same time. You can hit send all on your email and give it to everybody all at once. And that's just not the world we lived in. You were forced to think before you spoke. 
and it was slower. I want you to imagine, so, so something triggers you and you get angry and people bang out a response on their keyboard nowadays. That's what, that's what people tend to do. Or they send a text right away or they make a phone call. Hey Siri, call Jane. And they start spouting what they're angry about. Imagine being angry, like really genuinely ticked off and having to use a rotary phone to express that anger. It's like we've mentioned. I'm so steamed. I'm going to tell them about it. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind as soon as I get through these 10 numbers. And maybe if I'm lucky, they're home. And maybe they'll pick up their phone. And if they don't, I'm going to have to try this again later. It was baked in. It was a slower world. And in, in my opinion, they always say when you're angry, count to 10. Technology and culture today has kind of wiped that concept away. So maybe the ants are onto something. Maybe the trees are onto something. They say it takes a long time to say anything in old entish. And this is a really important part of the conversation. And we never say anything unless it is worth taking a long time to say. We spout so much stuff all the time that we, one, don't think about saying, uh, whether, whether we should say it, and, and we, we don't take very long to say it at all. It's just right there, boom, we're instant responders. And it reminds me of this passage from the book of James in the Bible. James says this, James, who was probably the brother of Jesus, the literal kin of Jesus, says this, says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We live in a culture that's the opposite of that. We're slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. And I think it's unhealthy for humanity. I think it's unhealthy for solving the world's problems. I think it's unhealthy for culture. It's unhealthy for, for the battles that are worth fighting. It's still not a healthy way to fight them. Contemplation, thinking, speaking appropriately is important. So I have a few random thoughts on James 1.19, which is the passage I just read, and then we'll get out of here. Number one, I want to talk about the fine art of filthy sandals. If you've ever seen somebody create fine art, odds are it took a lot of time. When you see Chinese calligraphy, for example, I mean, they're, they're, the, the written language is beautiful, and they do it with brushes. And, and sometimes they do it focusing on their breathing. It's, it's a fine art to create calligraphy. It's a fine art to create an oil painting. And these things take time. And I'm convinced that we're, we are works of art displaying the artistry of the master artist at all times. And it takes time to do that. And when I say the fine art of filthy sandals, what I mean is that we follow the one who walked everywhere he went or rode a donkey or rode a camel. Jesus lived in a culture long before 1900. When he had to go, he had to go. When he wanted to get from point A to point B, it took a long time, a long time to think about what he was going to say, a long time to pray and seek God, a long time to connect with the people traveling with him. And when we, if we're going to follow the one who walked in sandals on this earth, it means slowing down our pace, slowing down our role. I had a dream recently. I've been praying that God would give me dreams and visions. And I had a dream about a, a wetland, and it was, it was a murky, nasty, gross, green, pasty-covered bog that I was walking in in this dream. 
And all of a sudden, it started raining. And all that rain, and it was rain, I mean, pouring down rain, just drops of rain everywhere. And all that rain did was churn up that nastiness, churn up that, that muck that I was slogging through about this high. And then there, then there were people, and, and somehow I knew in the dream that those drops of rain represented the thoughts and ideas and, and, and speeches, stuff people were saying. People were contributing to the bog by throwing their stuff in constantly and just stirring the waters and making them uglier and making them murkier. And then there were people who were dive, diving into the water and splashing it, and it was really causing problems and causing waves. And then there was somebody who kind of superhero smashed into the water and bloosh, it pushed all the water in the back and rushed back in, and it was just boggy and messy. And I was thinking, what a mess. And I, I recognized somehow that even in my trying to move through the mess, I was stirring up the mess and making things uglier. And then all of a sudden, somebody came walking on the water, and I knew it was Jesus. And I remember his countenance was just kind of aloof. He was just, even though it was splashing and washing and churning and turmoil and chaos, he was above it all. He, He was somehow not inside the muck and the mire. And I somehow feel like if we're going to be followers of the one who walked in sandals on this earth and walked a slow pace of love, that's going to, we're going to emulate that somehow. We're, we're going we're to rise above the muck and the mire and move at a pace where we're not scared, we're not afraid, we're not, we're not screaming and having fits, but we're, we're engaged, we're involved, but we're not panicked. I want to encourage you to dial it in. Take the time to stop and think before you speak. Ask wise questions. It's an important practice when you're about to say something, especially if you're going to say something controversial or mix it up in controversial areas or, or hot topics. It's important you ask several questions. Number one is, why say this? This is, this is real important, is, is why am I about to share what I'm about to share? Is it to make myself look good? Is it to make myself look smart? Is it to fight for the rights of me and, my, and mine? Is it something bigger than that? Is it, and, and, and I'm not saying those questions are easy to answer. I'm not saying there isn't complication. What I am saying is we should face off with that question is, why am I about to say this? Here's a real important question. Is what I'm about to say true? I've had to, I've had to text friends of mine of late. We'll pick up a meme on social media that says something about our favorite topic. And because we like what it has to say, we immediately post it to our account for the whole world to see, and we don't even stop to question of, is this factual? Is it true? And sometimes it doesn't take long to find this is absolutely not factually accurate. And it's important that we're people who, and we're not gonna get it right every time, but we're people who ask the question, is it true? And if it isn't true, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna post it. Or if it's of questionable or dubious truth, I'm gonna say that. I'm going to say this may be true, this is an interesting thought to think about, but I'm not going to post, I'm I'm going to do my best not to say or post something that isn't true as if it were. Is it fruity? Here's what I mean by that. In Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, love, patience. The stuff that I'm saying, the stuff that's coming out of my mouth, the stuff that I'm posting on social media or posting online or writing about, is it characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? Is what I'm speaking kind? It doesn't mean it's not hard sometimes, 
but is my focus the best interest of the other? Is it gentle? It's, it's one thing to hammer people. It's another thing to address people in a way that they can receive and it can be helpful for them. Which brings up the next question is, is it helpful? In Ephesians it says, do not let anything uh, unwholesome come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Is what I'm about to say, is what I'm about to put out there, does it help the situation? Does it help people? The Pentecostals use an expression called prayed up. And prayed up means I've been with God. I've been connected with God. I'm close with God. I've spent time in my prayer closet. I've, I've connected myself with him. I've meditated. I've prayed. And I, I feel centered. I feel connected with him in a, in a way. And, and the Pentecostals will say, well, I'm prayed up, meaning I'm in the zone. I'm in the spiritual zone. And one thing that we, I, I think there's something to that. I'm Pentecostal in my theology. I think it's important that we connect with God, that we seek him. And, and so it's important to say what I'm about to post what I'm about to say, the phone call I'm about to make, the person I'm about to go chew out, or the stance that I'm about to take, have I prayed about this? Have I allowed God to speak into this situation? We tend to be impulsive people. We tend to be people that are right here, right now, making our day as TikTok would challenge us to do. There's not time. There's not time. There's not time. There is time. Because God is efficient. God can do with one word what we couldn't do with a thousand words. And so it's important that we are prayed up. It's important that we seek God. So there's three keys on your keyboard I want you to consider pushing. And one is the read key. So often, people step into situations and, and proclaim themselves as virtual experts. And I'm guilty of it too. But we proclaim ourselves as virtual experts on an area that we are not well read. So when somebody steps up on racial tension, for example, and says, well, this is what you ought to believe about racial equity and racial tension. My first thought is, how well read are you on racial ten tension? How well studied are you in this topic? Why should I even listen to your voice? And it, it's, it's not to say that we don't all have something important to contribute to the conversation, but it's that we should not present ourselves as experts when we're not experts. We should approach it with humility. We should read and study. We should seek. We should be prayed up when we have these difficult conversations. And we should take the gut check. If God is God and God is our friend, He's given us a conscience for a reason. He speaks to us. And so if, if you're about to say something to somebody and your mind says, don't say that, which happens to all of us, then don't say that. Pause. Take a step back. Dial it in. Think about, should I be saying this? Listen to that gut check. I've learned that if I don't listen to that gut check when the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to me or my conscience is trying to speak to me, I get myself in a mess. And it doesn't mean you can't say the thing it means maybe you should pause before you say the thing and say the thing differently than you were planning on saying it. Or maybe it does mean you shouldn't say that at all. You should go read and find out that what you're about to say is factually inaccurate and not share it at all. That gut check is important. And it's also important that we're familiar with the delete key. If we make a mistake, if we say something wrong, if we, if we find out something we presented was factually inaccurate, that we're able to back up and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and hit the delete key. Closing with this, results of the walk. When we walk with the sandaled Savior, when we walk with the one who moved at a slow pace, you're going to see some positive benefits in your life. One is you're going to see positive tension. I mean a couple things by that. When we talk about racial equity, or we talk about government, or we talk about relationships and friendships, or we talk about sexuality, some of the topics that we've talked about recently, there's a tension baked into these conversations. 
And in my opinion, any input that we have into those conversations that doesn't acknowledge the tension of the conversation is poorly thought out. We will have a healthy tension when we dial it in, when we slow it down, when we hit the read key on our computer and we're well studied coming into it, when we're prayed up and we seek God. We're going to have something positive to add to the tension without ignoring the tension. We don't want to ignore the tension. And you also want to create in your conversation a sort of tension where people lean in to hear you, which ties into some of our other thoughts. If, if you're a person that doesn't dial it in, you just react on impulse to every single thing that comes along the way and feel like you ha- you're an expert in every conversation and have something to add and, 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 and your responses are lightning fast, odds are your voice is going to get lost in that swamp. But if you're a person who dials it in, thinks about what they're about to say, thinks about what they're about to post, you're going to create this desire for people. They're going to want to hear your voice. You're going to be the person people call that says, what do you think about this? Instead of you having to spout all the time, having to be omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, always involved in everything, you're going to get called on because you've created this tension where people desire your input. You do it with humility. You do it with, it builds credibility. When you're slow to speak, slow to become angry, quick to listen, people realize that you're a person that can contribute well to a conversation and they're going to desire your input. As opposed to the person who spouts constantly, people do not want your input. It builds credibility when you're slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. And finally, it develops wisdom in your life. And the author of Proverbs tells us to get wisdom and with all getting, get understanding. If you look up definitions of wisdom, a lot of times it's going to talk about knowledge or right thinking that comes with experience. And when we talk about experience, what we're talking about is knowledge gained over time. You hear wise and old connected a lot of times. The wise old owl or the wise old man or the wise old woman. And that old is in there for a reason when we're connected with wise because wisdom comes over time. It comes through practice. It comes through experience. It comes through dialing in life. And the proverb would tell us that above all else, get wisdom. And with, I like the way it's phrased. With all you're getting, get understanding. It will promote wisdom when you're slow to speak, slow to become angry, and quick to listen. So if you get nothing out of this sermon, here's what I pray for you. I've done this a bunch of times. I pray the next time your gut says, don't say that, you think, okay, I'm going to dial it in. The next time somebody really ticks you off on social media, you think, I'm going to dial it in. I'm going to take my newspaper, I'm going to contemplate what's been read, I'm going to contemplate what's, going to, what's been said, I'm going to go away and think about it, and then come together with our, our minds connecting to discuss what has occurred. Not, I'm flipping through the channels and I found something that makes me mad and I'm going to tell you about it. It's an unhealthy way to live, it's unproductive, it, you lose all tension and all credibility in your life, and it's unhelpful. I encourage you to be slow to speak, slow to become angry, and quick to listen. And in doing so, move at what we are calling God's pace, which is peace. Let's pray. God, I ask you in the name of Jesus that we would be people who are quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. That we are people that move at your pace. That we are people that rise above the muck and the churning and the chaos, and somehow we would be efficient in our communication. That what we have to say would would contribute in positive ways. 
that we'd be humble and recognize when we're wrong, that we would delete the things that we've said or done that don't contribute the way you would like it to, like us to. God, we want to be yours, and we recognize that you move at a peaceful pace. I pray we would be warriors for what is true, warriors for what is right, warriors for justice, warriors for love, warriors for the kingdom of God. But I have this sense and this feeling that somehow not being churned up by the chaos ties into that, and I pray you'd give it to us. It would be a gift you'd give us that we would rise above the chaos, rise above the churning, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Thanks for tuning in, and we will be right here next week at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Looking forward to seeing you. Love you. Bye.